Well, I am so excited, despite having a little bit of a cold this morning, to preach on Pentecost. Pentecost is one of the best Sundays in the life of the church. It is the celebration of the Holy Spirit. It is the birthday of the church. It is the moment when we are reminded that God is still at work in the world and we get to be a part of it. There is really no better Sunday outside of Easter than to be preaching at Pentecost. So I'm excited to study the word. I hope you are too. If you would go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. I'll pray for us, and we will study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them. And a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other language as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Isn't that just typical? A fresh idea blows in. Something that's never happened before occurs. Somebody goes about doing something just a little bit differently. And a whole bunch of naysayers stand on the outside and they accuse them of being intoxicated or crazy or idealistic. And yet this newfangled thing or idea or approach might be just the thing just the thing that's needed to move the story forward. Acts is the story of the birth of the church. And in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus takes his final leave of the disciples and he returns to heaven. But before he goes, he promises them that they will have the Spirit of God upon them, that it would always be with them, that they would never be alone. The disciples think about this they are probably pretty emotionally and physically and spiritually drained at that moment because they've come through this big event, the empty tomb, the resurrection. That's a lot to take in all in one short amount of time. And now Jesus has said his final goodbye, and there they all are, just sitting there, thinking, what do we do next? And they did what I think all good church folks have done since the beginning. They decided, well, what we need to do is we need to get an organizational manual together. We need to have committees, and, and we, need, we need to schedule the potlucks a year out because everybody needs a calendar that, that they can follow. So that's what they started doing. They got themselves all organized. And then they thought, well, you know what we really should do? We should get some leaders because if we get some leaders 
that means that none of us have to do any of the work. So let's hurry up and, and get ourselves a leader. So they did. They, they replaced one of, one of the 12. And, um, and then they were kind of like, well, now what do we do? Now we're all organized and we've got some leadership and, and what do we do? And then this interesting thing happens because, you know, we still don't have a church. There's still no church. And, and that's really hard for us to think about because we know what church is. Church is a building. It's got walls, and, and it's got pews, and it has to have an organ and a piano and sometimes both. And, and that's what church is going to look like, except here's the problem. In Acts, no such thing. No such thing. So how are we going to move the story forward? Well, you've got to think about what caused the church to crop up in the first place. And the church was part of God's plan from the beginning. It was God's plan to make himself known. We are part of God's plan. From the beginning, the whole plan was that God would pursue his people and that he would follow us to the ends of the earth to reconcile us back to his heart. And one of the ways that that happens in the world today is through what is called the church. Now, our God is a creative God. This is why we have things like armadillos and flamingos and rather unexplainably here in Florida, rat-sized mosquitoes. Our God is not afraid to try anything which explains how he managed to make you perfect just the way that you are because God looked at you and said, let's give it a shot. So when we get to the end of chapter 1 in Acts, it's starting to look as though that the creative well has pretty much run dry. It's like that part in the movie where the director doesn't know what to do next, so they throw in a really long, pointless chase scene or some touchy-feely emotional conversation that doesn't seem to flow with the whole rest of the movie. But they're, they're stuck, and they need to fill some time, and they can't figure out how to move it forward. Well, sometimes the church falls into that trap as well. And the way that works in the church is that sometimes they'll hang on to things. They will hang on to things with a death grip. They know that an event or a ministry is dying a slow and painful death, but they're going to hold on to it till the very end because they'd rather hold on to it than even attempt to try something new because they don't know what that new thing is just yet. And that's where we are at the end of Acts 1. Everybody is there. Everybody's all together in one place but they're all in a stalemate. And then chapter 2 comes along, and it's literally like this huge rush of wind blows right through the group, and it throws everything and everyone in the apple cart upside down. And everybody's standing there in awe, because even though Jesus told them this was going to happen, Jesus said it. Look, guys, when I'm gone, the Spirit's coming. It would appear that no one actually thought that he was serious, which seems to be a consistent problem that we followers of Christ have is that Jesus tells us something, and we're like, oh no, he's just kidding. And then he does it. Then he goes and he does it. It kind of happened at the tomb. He said, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to rise. And then we get to the tomb, and what happens? Everybody's like, well, how did that happen? But Jesus told us. Jesus told us that's exactly what was going to happen. When the Spirit of the living God came upon the people, many immediately wanted to attribute the new behavior to some other source, like alcohol. If it's not God, let's call it alcohol. Because alcohol seems like a more plausible explanation than the fact that God would actually keep his promises. 
or because alcohol seems more plausible than the idea that God would send a fresh spirit of energy and renewal to his people. Can you believe that the people would give more credit to a bottle of wine than to the creator of the universe? God who parted the Red Sea and the Jordan River, God who made something out of nothing at the very beginning, God who rose from the dead, this God is all of a sudden incapable of doing something new, something totally different, something possibly extraordinary. How quickly we forget how cool and amazing and awesome and creative God is. Is it possible? Is it possible that when it comes to breathing in the fresh breath of the Spirit, that we don't think enough of God to believe that he's actually capable of doing something life-giving and energizing? Of course, you know, in every crowd, there's a crazy one. Always a crazy one. There's going to be this person that believes that God might actually be up to something and that maybe, just maybe, we're going to get to be a part of it. And in verse 14, we, we discover that in this case, that crazy one is Peter. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and he addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Think about that. Think about how early you'd have to start drinking to be drunk by 9 a.m. This is what is spoken by the prophet Joel, said Peter. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in heaven above, and signs on earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What we learn from Peter here is that Pentecost was not a one-and-done event. It wasn't something that was meant to be memorialized as though it happened long ago and, and shouldn't be forgotten. Pentecost is a celebration. It's the reminder that we have that God is still at work in the world, that God is still here amongst us. Pentecost is an ongoing thing. If we believe that we're living in the last days, and by last days, what we mean is that we have every hope that Jesus will return soon, then we're living in Pentecost. In verse 17, quoted from the book of Joel, we read, In the last days, meaning right now, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, let's check ourselves, friends. If you came in here today with skin on, then there's a good chance that you're part of all flesh. And that means that the Spirit of God could possibly be upon you. Now think about that. The Spirit of God could possibly be upon you. God could possibly be doing something extraordinary with your life right here, right now, today. And not just you, your sons and your daughters. Scripture says they shall prophesy. You want to know what the church is going to look like in 50 years? I get asked that question a lot. What you do is you watch a movement of a group called Millennials. This is, this is Pastor Reed's generation on down to early high school. They're doing, they're doing some crazy stuff. I've got to tell you about this. 
they do church in some ridiculous ways. They're having church in RV parks, in tattoo parlors, at bike rallies, under bridges, in coffee shops. (laughs) And since we were just talking about wine, I'm just going to tell you, some of them are having church in bars. And get this. This is shocking. Most of the time, they don't even have a building to call their own. And worse yet, they don't care. (coughs) Because for them, church is not a building. Which, oddly enough, connects them to the early church. Because the early church did not have a building either. I have a colleague (coughs) up in Pittsburgh. He runs a church church called the Hot Metal Bridge. You would not believe this church. It's filled with homeless people and drug addicts and CEOs and alcoholics and outstanding businessmen. There's teachers, there's homosexuals, and and for the record, there's heterosexuals too. There's really young, really old. Uh, They come from 32 different nations and nationalities and backgrounds. That church has grown for years. Grew and grew and grew. They met each week in different places, on street corners and in public parks, and um, sometimes even under a bridge. Well, then they built a building, and the church stopped growing. It would seem that the fastest way to kill a church (coughs) is to surround it with walls, Walls that keep people from going out into the world and doing crazy things for Jesus. Joel said that that young men would see visions. And let me just report back to you that some of those visions are insane. Because young people, they don't care about things like membership. Isn't that shocking? At least not the way that the traditional church has always understood it. What they care about is authentic relationships. (coughs) Where they have a name and a purpose, and that purpose goes beyond filling a space in a pew. They have visions of justice. They seek a church that puts that justice into action, that goes out into the world and helps to create situations that promote a positive justice for all people. For them, this has nothing to do with age. (coughs) They will trade authenticity for age any day. Just recently, some of you may have met him. I had a young man come to our church. He, he has been in the church since he was a child, but he's been out of the church for the last 10 years. And I met him when he was in my youth group years ago. He lives here in Bradenton, and I invited him to Kirkwood. And, I, and of all days for him to show up, he showed up on Memorial Day. And I was so frustrated because here he comes. He, he comes to church, and, and he's dressed nicely, and None of our young families are here because it's Memorial Day and and they're all out doing something. And and he noticeably looks much younger than everyone else in the room. And at the end of the service, I I went up to him and I said, you know, I'm so so sorry. I wish that more of our young people had been here. And he said to me, you know, Hope, I'll take a group of real and honest older people over a group of young, judgmental people any day. This man has a vision of a church that has enough room to let him be who he is, who who he authentically is, 
to be a creative expression of God's goodness and grace while encouraging him to live into the fullness of the life that God has created for him. And when he came here to Kirkwood, every one of you let him be who he is, and you loved him anyway, and that's the church that he was looking for. Had nothing to do with age. Joel also said that the old men would dream dreams, and that tells me that Pentecost really isn't just for the young. It is timeless. It's for all who believe, all who believe that God is still capable of doing extraordinary things. The day that any of us believe that God has stopped speaking is the day that we're going to pack it up as a church. We're just going to close down the doors. Because as a follower of Christ, every one of us, regardless of our age, should go to the grave as an eternal optimist that God can and will do things that will change the world. And we should never give up believing that we get to be a part of it. You know why the naysayers thought the people were drunk? Because when you're drunk, you get this incredible bravado to summon up the courage to do crazy stuff that if you were sober and clear-headed, you'd never dream about doing. Well, in Pentecost, what happens is we're emboldened by the Spirit to go out into the world and to try crazy things for the sake of Jesus Christ. Now, don't go home, have a midlife crisis, buy a Maserati, and say to your wife, Pastor Hope told me it's the work of the Spirit. That's not the crazy that I'm talking about. Crazy is risking big because you believe that the good news of Jesus Christ is worth it. And crazy is a relative term. Let me tell you what crazy, <coughs> what crazy looks like to me. I say this to you all the time, and you don't believe me, but it's true. I'm quite the introvert. So if I'm not up here in the pulpit, my favorite place to be is going to be blending into a wall somewhere as quickly as possible. It takes a ton of energy for an introvert to spend a lot, of, a lot of time around large groups of people. Not only that, not only am I an introvert, but <clears throat> I lead a pretty bland existence. You're never going to have to worry about seeing me on the evening news because I'm just not a wild and crazy kind of person. It's just not who I am. So what would it look like for someone like me to do something crazy? Well, crazy for me looks like going out with six other elementary school moms You can see how crazy this is going to get here, right? Um, Six other elementary school moms who have nothing to do with the church and no way of hearing the good news unless somebody like me goes out with them, has a glass of wine, listens to some live music, and starts up a conversation. Now, for some of you, that might seem pretty lame. For (coughs) For me, that's one wild and crazy night. And that's what we're talking about here. The Spirit gives you what you need to go out and do something that you normally wouldn't do for the sake of the gospel. Now, is that how it's always been done in the church? The pastor goes out with these elementary school moms? No, probably not. Is it pretty unconventional for me? Yes, it absolutely is. But is it possible? Is it possible that the Spirit gave me just enough courage and put me just in the right spot at the right time to give it a try? Certainly. Certainly. And the Spirit does that for you as well. The goal of Pentecost, the whole reason Jesus sent the Spirit to us, is so as it says in verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We've got to rethink how we're going to reach everyone. Because we've reached this point in society where everyone is not going to show up in church on a Sunday morning at a certain time. It's just not 
going to happen. So here's the thing. The church has to get creative. We've got to think about ministry in ways that we never would have even considered 20 years ago. We may have to go as far as redefining what ministry looks like. Because the minute that we resort to the old organizational plan and electing leaders to do the work that we don't want to do and be responsible for is the minute that we decide, you know what, we're really not Pentecost people. We really don't believe that the Spirit's doing anything. God packed it up a long time ago. So should we. See, Pentecost is not a memorial. It's a celebration. And that the the church is nothing more than a building without a creative vision for a future with God tells us that we're done. We need to be a place that has that vision for a future with God. Now, let me say this. Pentecost isn't for everybody. It's just not. Jesus' death and resurrection, that is for everyone. No doubt about it. But Pentecost is only for those who believe that Jesus' death and resurrection still matter. And that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is still doing all kinds of crazy stuff to show people just how much they are loved. And Pentecost people... They're the ones who are just crazy enough to go out there and do it with God. So let me ask you, are you Pentecost people? How crazy are you? To God be the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.